when you take a kid to the side and you really start to break it down, not even on 4D, but just on, on a good, good, really slow motion camera, hey, this is the sequence that we want to have happen. We want to have one, two, three, four accelerate in sequential order one after the other rather than everything at the same time. Then the kind of light bulb goes off and it's really cool. Hey, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud, the official voice of data. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. The future of recruiting and player development is here. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. Today we have on Ryan Chapman, owner and director of player development for Chapman Baseball Compound. Ryan played baseball at Tustin High School, where he received a scholarship to Cal Poly Pomona as a catcher. And after Cal Poly, Ryan decided to transfer to Santa Ana College to pitch. After pitching for Santa Ana for two years, he got drafted by the New York Mets in the 33rd round of the 2013 Amateur Baseball Draft. After two years with the Mets, Ryan decided to retire and pursue CBC full-time. Ryan has taken what he has learned over the past 15 years of baseball experience and has blended it with multiple disciplines of physiology, exercise science, biomechanics, and physics. Some of the coaching that makes Ryan unique is his assessment of the player and what winning strategies should be employed to get the best out of the athlete on the field. Ryan has conducted and trained over 300 athletes since 2009. So on the show, Ryan and I mostly talk pitching and hitting, and we get into some 4D analysis and what that has taught him about the body and sequencing. But we also talk about some assessments, reassessments, and I loved his thoughts on the competition that they do called Pay for Play. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode is so good with Ryan Chapman. Ryan, thanks for joining us on the show today. Hey, Jonathan. Thank you very much for having me. Well, of course. Now, we got the chance to meet at Bridge the Gap, and I'm so thankful that we did because, to be completely honest with you, I was pretty unaware of everything you've got going on. And I am, you know, after I heard you speak and after we've gotten the chance to, to speak a little bit on the side after that, you're awesome, man. And I just wanted to tell you that, and you're doing a great job. But uh, just take it a little bit to tell our guests who you are and, you know, kind of where you got your baseball background and, you know, when you or why you decided to get into coaching. Yeah, thank you so much. It definitely was uh, was a treat to get to meet you at, uh, at Bridge the Gap and get to know you better as a person and, um, you know, where we both come from. And as far as helping our athletes, and that's our biggest goal and just to be able to get as much information out there. So that was really cool. Yeah, so I uh, I basically got into coaching um, shortly Shortly after high school, um, I was always uh, a guy that was a cage rat. I was a hitter growing up. Um, didn't really pitch a whole lot, even though come to fruition, I got drafted as a pitcher. Mm-hmm. But I was—I started baseball, you know, late. You know, in some regards, I was almost 13 years old, so I had um, about a full year, years worth of playing, and a couple seasons of fall and spring in there before high school. So, in my opinion, I felt that I definitely had to make up some ground. So I was always the kind of guy that was up late at night and looking up stuff on the internet and ways that I can be better as a player. So I definitely didn't leave any stone unturned. So take that into high school. I mean, I didn't really have uh, a concrete position. Uh, I kind of bounced around a little bit. I played third base, had a really good arm, 
glove was okay. Somehow moved to second my in the middle of my freshman year. I'm one of the bigger guys on the team, which is definitely different. Hmm. Sophomore year, DH'd a lot and uh, played right because they definitely saw the arm talent that I had, um, which is kind of interesting. When I started, I didn't really have any arm whatsoever. My dad and I spent a whole a whole summer training on that, pulled t- you know tooth and nail. But he's like, hey, you're not going to get drafted just as a DH or get to where you want to be. So we need to make sure we bring that part of your talents as well. So luckily we did. Um, so ended up, uh, catching going into my senior year, uh, for the ABD Bulldogs, which, um, when I was in high school in 2009 was definitely one of, uh, us in East Cobb were like two of the best travel teams in the country. So I was very fortunate to be around those coaches and they suggested, Hey, we definitely can see you as a catcher and progressing as a catcher. So I was you know, jumped, jumped in head first and, uh, did whatever I could drive, uh, you know, my dad and I would drive a couple hours every Saturday to go work, uh, with my catching coach, Matt Smith, definitely, definitely one of the most instrumental people for me catching wise, you know, to help me progress as a catcher, uh, went into my senior year, thought, uh, I was going to get drafted, signed super early to Cal Poly as a catcher, um, really good situation, ended up fracturing three of my knuckles on my catching hand, uh, mid game. And uh, didn't know it was in a lot of pain, but uh, kind of always been taught to, hey, if you can still play, keep going. And um, went to the doctor and he said, hey, we need to put we need to put pins in your knuckles. So that was definitely a shock. Didn't want to do that because I didn't want to miss my whole uh, my whole senior season. So I ended up playing through that. Ended up pretty well. Hit over 300. Caught really, really well somehow, even though I couldn't feel uh, the most part of my catching hands. Went to Cal Poly and you know thought I had everything figured out and you know come to find out you know life kind of throws a little bit of curveballs at you um had a little bit of a tough time you know adjusting to a little bit of the culture and some of the responsibilities that were were placed on me so i ended up uh ended up transferring that following year to Santa Ana Junior College talked to my high school coach and i thought i was going to get into coaching right away and um because no why don't you think about it sit back and try pitching Still had the itch, definitely wanted to play, and uh, went out and tried out for Santa Ana Junior College, and I redshirted my freshman year and you know, did everything that I could in the same way that I was as a catcher and a hitter. Found Texas Baseball Ranch, went out to drive the line, Trevor Bauer, Jack McGeary, and myself. Actually went out to the first Pro Pitcher Summit out there, which was definitely a great experience. You know, Went to the Texas Baseball Ranch and just kind of dug up as much information as I could. Eventually, I got drafted um, by the New York Mets. Uh, they saw me fill a bullpen actually. That's pretty much how I got drafted, which is an interesting story and, um, was with them for a couple of years. And definitely once I achieved my goal, um, of playing pro ball, I very, very quickly came to realize that it was the journey that was big for me, not so much playing in games. You know, I couldn't wake up, couldn't wait to wake up the next morning to get my lift on and do my weighted balls and my long toss and my mechanical work and my video work. And, all of my preparatory recovery stuff. That was definitely the the most fun part to me. So when I when I definitely came to realize that, um, you know, I had a conversation with uh, you know, with our manager and, you know, decided, hey, this is more of what I want to do, go and go into helping people. And so I, I retired and I thought I was going to go to orthopedics. Um, was a Kines major and um really wanted to get into shoulder and elbow health and help pitchers and uh very quickly decided that I was a little bit older than everybody else. Cause I, you know, took that redshirt year at Santa Ana and then uh, very quickly decided that I did not want to be, you know, in my forties and just starting to get out of med school. So interned at a couple places, wanted to really figure out what I wanted to do was uh, intern at a PT clinic, sports orthopedic clinic for, 
greater part of about eight months. Um, also, at the same time, I was interning with a performance company, um, EM Speed and Power. I was interning with them. I was using their facility in the off-season, so I maintained a good relationship with the owners um, and the managers that were present. Uh, then I didn't know really what I wanted to do from there. And I kind of, then I get a call from one of my clients said, Hey, you heard your back. Let's, let's get going on this thing. I'm just about to head into college and I want to start hitting again. And basically from there, you know, uh, one guy grew into 60 clients and uh, then it was a, a real conversation with, Hey, I want to want to open up Chapman baseball compound, which is, you know, our company now and the facility that we own. And, you know, here we are two years later, we're 28 months into our first building and um, you know, things are, things are alive and well. I love that. I love the that your background is both in hitting and pitching, and I have found myself in the in the process of coaching, having to do both. And so I, I love to speak with guys who do both because it's just it's so interesting to hear the perspective of guys that are really good that can jump from one to the other. And so talk to us a little bit more about you know Chapman Baseball Compound and say I wanted to come train with you guys. What would the first day look like for for me? Uh, yeah. So the, the first day of either hitter or pitcher or weight, weightlifter for that matter, mm-hmm. the guy that's interested in performance, uh, we'll first take them through an assessment. So, I mean, I guess first we'll go into the hitting side. Uh, we'll, we'll normally throw them into a normal session and we won't say anything to them. Quite frankly, we tell them that the first day with us, it's going to be their, the most boring session that they will ever have going forward with us just because we're not going to teach them anything new. We're going to put them in in as many situations as possible for us to be able to gain an understanding of how they move, how they handle certain situations, certain pitches and locations and speeds, where are, you know, their weaknesses, what are some things that they can do well, how do they move in the box? What is, you know, their patterns look like. So we'll assess that with, uh, you know, we'll throw them on the 4D motion. That's one thing that we're really, really getting into and have been for um, basically since we met at, uh, at Bridge the Gap earlier this year. 4D is, is, is extremely valuable for us to see how they move and the inner workings, I like to say, of the body, not just what it looks like visually um, on video. So we'll throw them on 4D. Uh, we'll hook them up to the blast motion sensor. We'll get them on hit tracks. We'll put them on high-speed video. And um, we're, uh, we've also done some, uh, some Rapsodo experimenting, which is definitely going to be um, huge for us going forward. So we're able to see basically a grand scope of one, how they move, what are their patterns, acceleration patterns, deceleration patterns look like on 4D, what are the straight numbers that are being presented to us, how much output are they able to produce. And then also the the blast baseball sensor tells us everything that the bat is doing. Um, I think that that swing sensor has been huge for us just because we're, you know, in a time where everyone's saying, hey, you know, you're swinging up, swinging down, yada, yada, yada. You know, we can talk to this till the cows come home or, hey, you have a slow bat. We're able to actually quantify those numbers, which mm-hmm. is huge. Um, hit tracks is great for us uh, just because it lets us see what their abilities are like compared to their peer group. And um, one of the things we really like to dive into is heat maps. So we'll we'll go in and see what type of pitches they can cover easily based on their posture on 4D and on blast. You know, what are what are some of the zones that they're giving up and that we can help them improve on? And then at the end, basically, we'll take him through the gauntlet for an hour and we'll uh, we'll come back and we'll do crunch all those numbers, look at all the video and kind of gather what their ability level is currently. And then uh, we'll formulate a plan and say, OK, this is where you're at compared to your current peer group. And this is where we see that you can be with this, this and this, you know, whether it's um, a little bit of uh, a little bit of assessment on the body, which we'll get into um, mobility, structural posture. 
flexibility, strength, coordination, all that good stuff. Or if it's a you know mechanical tweak, or if you know they need more bat speed, we'll put them on weighted bats, weighted balls, and we'll also assist in that in the weight room. So that's kind of the hitting portion. Um, we don't like to change anything the first day by any means. It's we're getting to know them as a person, um, as an individual, as a player, and uh, give us as much information as possible for us to go off of before we make any changes. So that's that's on the hitting side. Pitching side, we'll take them through a movement assessment, which uh, is a pretty much a huge blend of everything that I've uh, I've got from Eric Cressy. Love his assessing, correct? I mentioned that at, um, at Bridge the Gap. That has been huge for us to be able to um, better assess people. Um, I'll take some of uh, some of TPI's criteria that they have and, um, you know, some of the bite and stuff, and we'll be able to see how do they move as a, as an athlete, not so much as a pitcher. A lot of the problems that present themselves on the mound where guys unable to get to, you know, a certain movement or, you know, a guy might have a bad pattern with his back leg or his hips might not work function or might not function properly. We're able to address those and see that, Hey, it's not a mechanical issue. What's really happening is it's an underlying movement issue. He's unable to get there. He doesn't have that range of motion. You know, one set of, one set of muscles is stiff once, you know, one is, uh, is weaker than the other. So that movement is just not possible for him. So we'll take them through that and give us a, a general overall picture of how they move and we can gain a lot of insight just based on that. We'll also put them, uh, you know, we'll put them on the radar gun and we'll see, depending on when they're, where they're at in their throwing progression, we'd like to see what their velocities look like. Um, we'll also get them on the modus and really take inventory of, uh, their external rotation, their arm speed and, um, their, their arm slot. And then, uh, we'll go from there and kind of, it's the same thing, you know, put everything together before, before making any, any judgments will, you know, so that's the assessment process is huge for us. Definitely. Now that's fantastic. And whenever you have a bunch of kids coming in, like you guys do, what are really some of the most common problems that you see with those kids? And then at me as a high school coach, I see a lot of different problems too. And, and for me, I, I don't have as much time to research. So for the coaches out there in the same, in the same position that I am, uh, that I'm in, what are the most common problems you see, but also how can we help fix those problems? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, a couple of things, you know, one, definitely we're, most of our guys are high school, uh, high school and up, uh, but we definitely, I run a 14 new team. So we definitely get, you know, some of their friends or guys that they like to train with a lot of the younger guys. It's, we can talk about this again to, you know, I'm blue in the face, but it's, you know, a lot of strength, strength imbalances. They're, they're very, very dominant in the front part of their body. They don't have a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of muscle or a whole lot of strength in the backside of their body and the glutes, the lats, um, the hamstrings, which for us in baseball are super, super power generators for us. So that's the first thing, big thing that is, is very common is, is when you break down to, to an athlete, whether it's a pitcher or a hitter, there's a, there's a certain set of things that need to happen in sequential order for us to be efficient, right? There's, there's plenty of ways for us to be able to hit a baseball, but for us to be able to over the long, over the long course of, of the season, be consistent, we got to be able to have um, these set of timings and these, uh, the sequence that's, that is very, very important. So just letting the kids know, like for instance, hitting, um, you know, guys push their hands a lot and they get really boxy with the upper body. Well, what's then the reason that is happening is because their hips and their shoulders and their hands and their elbows are all moving towards the pitch at the same time. When you take a kid to the side and you really start to break it down, not even on 4d, but just on, on a good, good, really slow motion camera. Hey, this is the sequence that we want to have happen. We want to have one, two, three, four, accelerate, 
in sequential order, one after the other, rather than everything at the same time, then the kind of light bulb goes off. And it's really cool. They say, wow, I've never really thought of that before. I was just throwing my hands to the ball and Mm -hmm. come to find out without any drills or anything more than just explaining to them why we want certain things to happen in certain, you know, certain times and certain orders, it, it definitely cleans a lot of stuff up. And do you see the same thing just from the pitching side as far as just uh, sequencing and, and connection? Uh, definitely. Um, I had a, had a conversation today actually with, uh, with one of our high school guys. He's a, he's a really good arm and he's, um, you know, unfortunately in the past he's had some, uh, he's had some health issues, um, not actually non-throwing related actually, which is kind of weird. And we were going over some, some of the, some of the video that we took today. And we noticed that the very first thing that was moving from the time he went to strike his foot in the ground was the baseball. Hmm. So what I did was I kind of broke it down in the terms of, okay, if we're cracking a whip, the handle's got to move first. And then the tip, you know, goes ahead and whips. That's, that's what's the most efficient way and the most effective way. I said, you know, you're throwing in the, the mid to upper eighties by doing this pattern, such as the ball moving first after the foot lands, we actually want the hips to turn open. We want the chest to turn. We want the elbow to move. And I drew a circle around that baseball. And I said, look at, you know, X, Y, and Z, Nolan Ryan, Roger Clemens, all these guys, and gave him a lot of examples and said, Hey, as these guys on wine, that ball, it might rotate in, in terms of the, the orientation, in which the ball and the hand are interacting. I said, but that ball stays in that circle for a very, very, very long time. And it is actually the last part of the chain to move. So in my opinion, a lot of, a lot of movement issues aren't so much swing issues or pitching issues. They're, they're overall just movement issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where one of the biggest disconnects in, in our industry is, is they think that hitting is separate from pitching you know, you look at, for instance, Bryce Harper, when he was at College of Southern Nevada, you look at the way he hits and the way he pitches, there's a lot of the same movements and a lot of the same characteristics that really stick out at you like a sore thumb. And that's not just by happenstance. It's because he's an overall really, really, really good mover. And it, it comes through in the pitching and in the hitting. Okay. So a lot of the kids that I see, I mean, just from a movement side, you say that that they don't move real well, or they need to focus on some different mobility, stability stuff. What are some of your favorite drills or some, I I don't want to, it's going to be different for everybody that you have, but what are some different uh, mobility stuff? I guess uh, it was an eloquent way to put it. What's some different mobility stuff that really everyone needs to focus on and that we can start putting in uh, because a, a lot of the, a lot of kids need it. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a really good one. So, and again, this is kind of a blanket statement, but for, for us in baseball, for us to have the ability to get into a proper squat, you know, it relies on a couple of things. It's hip mobility. You're going to have some thoracic extension in there. Um, we definitely need some hip mobility or hip flexors need to be in order. And also we need to have some dorsiflexion mobility. And if you kind of just break it down that way, if you address those things, all of those components of that squat are actually going to transfer over to other things. So you know, for instance, we, we often see a lot of guys, um, that hit and pitch. So we kind of get this, this little bit of a crossbreeding going, you know, we'll assess them for the pitching and we'll put them through a simple dorsiflexion mobility test. And, you know, they can't really get their, their knee to drift over their toes too much. So what happens is that same person that goes into the hitting cage, we see him try to really load into his back glute in order to help him go forward and stay into the ground. That is virtually non-existent to them. So what happens is they get this massive 
push from the from the heel to the toe, and they're getting this closed gate crossed over swing just based off of them, you know, having the not having the ability to hinge their hips back and sit back into their heels. So something like a you know a dorsiflexion mobility test and mobility series is is great to help them be able to get in there. And also, you know, giving guys having guys the ability to separate their you know their thorax from their pelvis. Um, you know, having a little bit of uh, you know hip mobility in there, but also you know thoracic spine mobility. Yeah, guys, you know, we we see when we see on um, you know on camera and we put them on 4D. There's virtually no X factor. There's no X stretch. There's no stretching of the or there's no acceleration of the hips independent of the thorax. And, you know, going back to that sequencing. Um, that's super important for us. And that's a, a massive power sap if they're on, you know, they don't have the ability to do that. So, you know, putting them in a the thoracic spine test, you know, whether it's seated or, you know, their, their quadruped, um, you know, gives us the ability to assess that. And, you know, something as little as those things are, are, are massive for us just because in pitching, we need hip shoulder separation. You know, the degree in which we do is definitely different, you know, for everybody. Granted, we, but we need some form of that. Um, we need to be able to hinge properly. We need to be able to get our butt behind our heels and, you know, not fall behind us and, you know, fall over. So us having the ability to, you know, disassociate, you know, hips from, uh, hips from shoulders is huge, you know, and getting that dorsiflexion mobility is massive too, you know, get, you know, two weeks down the line, it was two and a half weeks, almost, um, almost three, you know, the guy's power numbers were going up, his consistency was way up, but the most important thing was we didn't actually need numbers to see this on video. He wasn't crossing over it at all. When, when he first came in, he was almost touching the plate with his toes after he would stride just because that was the pattern to kind of get him free. So, you know, actually he was in today as well. Um, he sat back in his hips really long. He's like, I've never been able to, to feel this free before because when he was on his toes, he couldn't get into that, you know, that good squat and that glute load. He was so across the plate that every single pitch was eating him up on the inside part of the barrel. Sure. You know, you look at his bat and everything's on the handle. Some, you know, some of them were even on pine tar, you know, fast forward to today, he's sitting back and, you know, he's able to actually deliver a barrel to baseball. So, you know, it's kind of like TPI coined it, you know, the, the body swing connection is absolutely huge. Um, and it's, it's brilliant in my opinion. I love that. And we're getting into the time of year where we're about to switch from off season mode to preseason mode. So what does that look like from you? I, th- I think that, well, just, this is kind of another blanket statement in the off season, we're trying to build the engine and, you know, fix some different things and, and clean up some different things. And then the closer we get to the season, my guys, we want to get into game mode, compete and and get better and at actually being good in a game. So, uh, what are you guys doing uh, right now to kind of make that switch from the off season to getting into the preseason? Yeah, you said it just a, just a little while ago. The most important thing for us is getting them better in the games, you know, and whether that's. Um, teaching them one thing versus the other and someone saying, Hey, I've never heard you say that before. It really doesn't matter. It's how well does it transfer over to the game for them? Because sure. if they're not getting results in the game or showing improvements in the game, what we're doing is, is all for not in my opinion. So, you know, the, the big thing is transitioning from off season to kind of preseason or in season, the training um, in the weight room will definitely, will definitely vary a little bit. Um, it'll get a little bit more specific if we're building, you know, a, a baseball player, you know, some of our presses will definitely change as the season, you know, approaches, um, we're trying to get a little bit less load cause they're getting a lot of more of that from the game, whether they're pitching or they're throwing at practice or they're pitching with us, you know, in their sessions, 
So that that will definitely change. It'll get a little bit more specific. Um, but as far as the training, I'm one to believe in at CBC, you know, it's the same thing where we don't want to spend weeks upon weeks and months upon months trying to build something. And then when we need it is a totally different animal for us. So, you know, there's always some form of, of challenge and competition. And all right, this is, this is a pay to play round. Like I like to say, it's all right, we're, you're sitting breaking ball and you're not getting a fastball until you hit a breaking ball over 90 miles an hour, you know, just because they need to be able to do that in the game. So for us, especially in, in baseball in Southern California, it's a little bit different where there's no true off season, you know, and that's, that's one of the bigger things that is, is definitely, definitely hard to navigate, to be honest, just because we see the ability of some athletes and what their, you know, what their potential is and what they have the, you know, the opportunity to do. We might need a little bit of time to say, Hey, you know, we, we're not going to tell you not to play, but we can't closely look at the results as much for this, you know, one or two weeks, cause we're trying to really ingrain this pattern. So it's, it's definitely a fine line between, Hey, kind of keeping the status quo in the games, but also needing to, to break through in some barriers. So that's, you know, and like I said too, in the weight room, it's definitely, um, it's definitely difficult just because trying to ramp guys up and, you know, put them on different programs and adjust to what they need, whether it's, you know, strength, speed, or power, or a combination of all of them. It's different because there is no true off season. I mean, mm -hmm. even, um, you know, a couple of years ago, five, six years ago, um, when I was in high school, we never played, you know, on Saturdays and Sundays in the off season. Now it's, they got these teams that are quote unquote, not in high school, but it's really their team under a different name. And they're playing on Saturdays and they have practices during the week. And then they're playing with, you know, whoever travel ball team they're playing with on Sundays. So for us, fortunately or unfortunately, it's, it's definitely a difficult, uh, you know, definitely difficult to navigate. I understand that. And I think that you hit the nail on the head where, you know, we're, we're trying to make things more game-like. So for the coaches out there, especially up north who are going to be, you know, squeezed into uh, indoor facilities for the next couple of months and with the weather here in Oklahoma it's it's going to be hit or miss most of the time uh, you know how do you how do you make sure. things more game like and you said that you love some different competitions so why don't you open that up for us a little bit too yeah yeah definitely so um you know as it sits right now we don't have the ability to do any live at bats you know pitcher versus um our hitters uh that will definitely change but with us it's we we definitely have a have a really good pitching machine so for us to be able to to mix in speeds and, um, you know, change, change different trajectories with breaking balls and different movements is definitely important for us. But I actually pride myself on being able to throw, you know, I've, I've been throwing every day, you know, for the past six years, virtually, um, whether it's from playing baseball or, you know, um, throwing to, throwing to my hitters. So what I do is, you know, when guys first come in, it's pretty funny. They're not used to the speed in which I throw it at and how close I am and, I actually mix in breaking balls and changeups and curveballs just because, you know, I did that for, you know, for a number of years when I was in, you know, in, in college and in pro ball. So I, I think that's a different dimension. We kind of, now I know the ball isn't coming out of my hand at 90 miles an hour. So that is different than being at 25 feet and throwing at 45 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. That is different, but it all, you know, we're trying our best to replicate the situation. Um, sure. Some of the, some of the games I like to play and the guys really love it at once they get to know the game. Um, as I mentioned it before is pay to play is basically I'll I'll look at, you know, their hit tracks profile, or I'll look at their, their trend tendencies and see, okay, based on your posture and this and that, and your swing, your weak spot is curveballs away, or your weak spot is fastballs up and in. So what I'll do is I'll let them get their normal speed fastball. As long as they hit 
you know, a certain preset number of pitches in the zone I'm trying to attack, which is their weak point, you know, at 90% of their velocity. So, you know, this morning we had a guy, he has trouble with breaking balls and seeing them um, and hitting them hard consistently. So I'm like, right, pay to play. You're going breaking balls until you hit 190 miles an hour. And at first he hated it because it was damn, I have trouble hitting breaking balls. 90 miles an hour is pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Now I got to be able to do two before I get fastballs, um, you know, which I really want to crush, which he's good at, you know, inherently. So sure. that's one of the things. Another one is just uh, compete round, you know, at the end. And this, we do this in in season and in off season is, you know, in order to change it up, I'll get up and, you know, I'm going overhead and I'm throwing fastball curveballs and changeups based on the count. And, you know, I'm, I'm flipping them different pitches and counts and situations and pitching them backwards and blowing them up inside. And so it really turns into a, it turns into a game where they're saying, Hey, I bet you can't strike me out, um, you know, type of deal. So uh, that's, that's some of the competitive stuff that we like to do. You know, I'm sure we can, we can sit here and, you know, talk for hours based on competition, but those are two of the, two of the couple ones that, that guys really, really enjoy. First of all, it's hard to kind of get a good guy that throws BP and can throw it firm without hitting you in the head. But, you know, to, for me to be able to throw three or four pitches at him is definitely uh, levels of playing field a little bit. It's not just, you know, 20 pitches in a row at hundred miles an hour and the guy's happy, but ain't getting any better. You know, we're definitely striving to make sure that we're, we're challenging them and making it a, you know, making it a fun environment at the same time. I love it. And I, I want this next part to be a little bit of a two-part question because I know you have a ton of technology. So I do want to know, you know, what are some of your favorite things to measure, but also, you know, for the coaches out there who may not have access to all the different devices that you do, what would be your best advice sure. on what they could measure for the most bang for their buck? Yeah, I, uh, we're, we are very fortunate to, you know, to have a ton of pieces of technology, which, you know, by the way, wasn't always like that. I kind of had to work my way one thing at a time. Um, but yeah, we, I, it's funny, we don't necessarily need all the stuff that we have, but if one piece of technology can help one of our athletes and make them make a connection better, it makes all the, makes all the, all the difference for me. So, you know, we, we, like I mentioned before, we've, we've used rap soto hitting with, uh, you know, for an extended period of time. And we're definitely going to pull the trigger on that. That's a fantastic device. So for that, we were doing some research and trying to put some things together with certain pitch locations and spins that the hitters are putting on the ball. So generally what we'll see is what's, you know, we'll, we'll throw fastballs into a guy totally. He's not knowing what's coming. It's as much of a game like environment as possible. We'll bust him in and he'll hit that ball right up the middle, but it'll be curving if he's a right-handed hitter from left to right. So we know automatically that he's putting a lot more spin on the ball than he should be. And it's more of a deflection in terms of collision, kind of collision dynamics, if you will. So for us to be able to have the ability to say, hey, this pitch should be pulled to the right of the shortstop with a thousand RPMs of spin versus the same pitch being hit over the second baseman's head curving from left to right at 5,000 RPMs. So we, we use the rap soda in order to help us measure that. That's, that's been massively beneficial for us. We love the blast motion sensor. We use almost all of, all of those pieces of, uh, of all of those metrics that they have have been absolutely dynamic, especially mix that with, um, with a 4d uh, motion that we have. It's, you know, being able to, replicate as much of the game environment and putting, you know, being able to see them in that is huge for us. So we, we do use the modus for, uh, for pitching. Um, it's a relatively inexpensive piece of technology, but we get a lot of stuff out of it. 
um, you mix that with a radar gun and you can do some pretty good things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the, with the, uh, the arm speed, the, um, uh, the arm slot and the external rotation, that's really interesting for us just to see, you know, we test a guy in the beginning preseason, and then he might come in the off season. And we really like to see, you know, what their, what their external rotation looks like in a dynamic setting. You know, we can put them on the table and kind of rip the goniometer out and see what we got, but it's definitely a, a different beast when it's on the mound in the game or, you know, in a dynamic setting. But uh, I, I definitely, I like the, the diamond kinetics pitch, pitch tracker ball, another, you know, relatively um, inexpensive piece of technology that has been huge. I mean, we have a stalker pro two at our place, you know, it's literally within half a mile an hour. Um, every time it's, it's fantastic. And the, you know, compared to the rap Soto, um, the spins, pretty much seem to be almost dead on. So that's been huge. But, uh, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't put a whole lot of weight into one metric that we look at. I think the, the gold is really discovering and really trying to pick apart all of the piece, all of the pieces of material that are, that are being thrown at us. So, you know, it's funny when the, when the college or, uh, or pro guys come in in the off season, it's like, Oh, what'd you get this time? Um, and it's almost like a running joke. Cause it's, there's definitely, we do get new pieces of technology all the time, but it's, it's great because it helps us better serve them. And that is really what it comes down to is what am I, what do I have the capacity to do in order to help the guy that's across from me get better? And also it's, it's fun for me. Cause I mean, I, I absolutely love learning new stuff. So when, uh, you know, I, I was first introduced to, uh, you know, the spin rate specifically from Rapsodo and, um, the axis and the spins that we put on it as hitters, it was, it was amazing. Um, and you know, Steve Johnson, and I've kind of been going back and forth on that a little bit. And, you know, Ryan Parker and I, so it's, uh, it's, it's been really good, but I love all the pieces of technology. I, I really do. They all offer something that is very, very beneficial that all of us can use. But my, if I were to pick one, my definite favorite is the 4d motion, just because you're able to put sensors on guys in certain positions that you want, whether it's the front arm or the thorax or the pelvis or the bat. Um, you can even put it on their head or their legs and you can do the same thing with pitching with the arms, the hips and the thorax. That's huge. Just because I really love factual data and what's really going on. Now there's some air in there, of course, probably more user on my part when I'm setting the thing up, but you know, for the most part, when it's set up, well, things spit out very, very, very consistently and are, are very reliable. And I, I love the 4d just because you know, there's, there's no line there. I mean, if you really know how to read a, you know, a kinematic sequence graph and accelerations, then there's not a whole lot of, of leeway in which someone can spin it. And that's what I, what I really love. Video is always great, but 4d motion for me really, really stand is going to stand the test of time. Well, I love it. And, you know, in, in the day and age that we're in today, there's a lot of debate about between these two things, as far as pitching and hitting goes. And, and one of them is, you know, our launch angle swings and swinging up the ball and the ability or the the problem is striking out too much. And then the pitching side, it's, you know, our command and velocity mutually exclusive. And being someone that runs as much data as you do and, and seeing as many kids as you do, are you, are you, which camp are you in and, and are those things exclusive or can we train all of it? Yeah. Um, in my opinion, I, I, because, I mean, I've done it, is I really do not believe that command and velocity are or should be labeled as mutually exclusive. Now, for me, I've always been a, a velocity guy. I mean, I, I've loved it ever since I started pitching. And 
quite frankly, I mean, earlier in my career, I was, I was definitely a guy that threw really hard, but had, you know, quote unquote command problems. And when I really sat down and thought about it, I was, man, my velocity is jumping up. I'm, you know, gaining a lot of miles an hour. Um, I'm, you know, definitely seeing that and I'm able to, to visually see that on the radar gun, but my command hasn't really improved. My breaking ball has gotten better. It's tighter. It's harder. Um, has way better break on it. But for me, it was that, that fine line between, okay, 95% of my training is ability-based. It's okay. I'm going to throw weighted balls. I'm going to throw 425 foot long toss. You know, I'm going to be doing this multiple days a week. I'm going to train for velocity. My velocity has massively increased because of this. And I, I kind of was like, wow, where's my command component of this? Where, when am I working really on command and not the pattern of my throwing motion? So I, I sat down and kind of was like, okay, right now, do I have the ability to get drafted based on how hard I throw? And it was absolutely, unquestionably 100%. And it was, okay, what is my biggest constraint? My biggest constraint is throwing it as hard as I can, or is throwing it hard for commanding the baseball where I want to. So, you know, from that point on, it was okay. I need to actually spend most of my time on the part of my game that is actually difficult, which is the command component. Um, and I definitely saw, you know, um, command improvements and my velocity didn't go down by the way. So I think we're so one-sided, one side or the other launch angle or not swing up, swing down, you know, all that type of stuff that I think it could be the same thing. At least it was for me in the pitching realm. It was all velocity, all velocity, all velocity. And it was like, wow, my biggest constraint actually isn't velocity, which I'm working most on. It's actually commanding the baseball, which I'm working 0% of the time on. So I think there's a, there's always, you know, we always talk about it, especially with us being married. It's always the middle ground, right? It's, it's never black or white. It's, it's somewhere in the middle. It's not swing up, swing down. It's somewhere in the middle. It's not fastball or velo. It's somewhere in the middle. Um, because, you know, we all know, for very, you know, we're not going to be very good or very productive for very long if it's one side or the other, or it's yes or no. So I think, you know, definitely, you know, from my point of view, I was so far on the velocity side that my velocity went up, but my command kind of stayed the same, if not, you know, got worse. So until I made that adjustment to my training, where it was like, okay, this calendar year, I'm not concerned about gaining 15 miles an hour. I'm concerned about gaining four miles an hour on my average velo. Okay. Now I can spend that other half of my time that I would trying to gain 15 miles an hour. I can dedicate that to getting my command 10 to 12% better, which is going to be a massive game changer for, for anybody. So I just think being able to weigh what's going on, it's not fastball. It's not, it's not fastball velo. It's not command. It's the both of them together. And if we can, you know, dedicate our time and formulate an approach to where we're spending equal time on those and doing the things necessary to bring both of those up, then then I think that that idea of you know mutually exclusive fastball velocity and command definitely will will definitely start to fade away. Sure. And what are some practical ways that you do try and develop command? Yeah, uh, you know I'm I'm not you know the inventor here, but I uh, Trevor and I have have had numerous talks, especially when I was playing, um, is throwing different you know, different weighted balls, um, without really knowing it at the, at the target. So you might have a six a five or a four and you have no idea what the heck you grabbed out of the bucket, but you're throwing it, you know, mixing up. Uh, one thing that I really like to do is mix up distances. Now I know people will say that doesn't work because you're pitching at one distance the whole time. I totally get it, but it definitely helped me out. Also, one of the bigger things too, to help my command was, um, cleaning up my movement pattern a little bit on the mound. You know, I was doing some things with my head and with my glove side that were massively 
pulling me off towards uh towards the first base side that were you know making it really really difficult for me to be able to throw um the baseball where I wanted and the you know one of the the most important things too is when we long toss it's playing deliberate catch play mm-hmm. um you know not throwing it over your guy's head five times in a row it's making that you know making that adjustment i you know i had a talk i was at um ron wolfhorse uh elite pitchers boot camp in santa Cruz with jim wagner and you know i was naturally on the long toss station that was kind of my forte and one of the things was okay it was kind of going into command versus velocity guys were throwing it as hard and as far as they could and it was kind of impressive but when you saw where the ball was going it was it was vastly unimpressive you know so i had multiple conversations with the guys that said hey it's not having the ability to throw at 350 that is impressive. It's having the ability to throw 350 where you want to time after time that is most important. So, you know, purposeful at being extremely process driven with everything that you do. It's, you know, whether I'm throwing my plyo balls and doing my, my lead-in drills, throwing them to a target with different set weights, um, getting on the mound and knowing where I want to throw it and grading myself pass or fail on whether or not I threw it at that spot. It's not just, okay, I'm going to dig for the next ball in the bucket and go. It's no, did I hit that spot or not? Okay. I'm not going to move on to the next command point until I hit that spot. So I I definitely think it's, it's an all encompassing approach more than just one thing, but I really, really, really love what, um, what driveline has done with kind of the command, the command aspect of it, throwing different, different weights and different implements. And, you know, I, even to this day, I use the, the command trainer, um, you know, from the ranch and, um, you know, the, the tap, the pitching pad and the target pads, those are massive for, you know, for, for me in my development as a player, but also for, for my clients. That's fantastic. And, you know, I mentioned, and I, and I say this laughingly launch angle swing earlier and swinging up, but what are some of the, some of the different things that you guys do to help with different adjustability in the swing? You know, I, I'm a firm believer in we want to hunt the fastball, but I also want to be able to swing through spin if we have to. And so what are some different ways or some some different practical ways that you guys train that? Yeah. um, Kind of going back to, you know, when I throw you, you know, you labeled specifically look hunting fastball, but if you're going to be fooled, make sure you swing through it and don't give up on it to make contact. That is definitely one of the biggest things that we need to dive into a little bit deeper as a coaching community is getting guys to be able to make a decision and stick with it and not so much have to adjust just because they're so used to, you know, and ingrained to just hit a baseball or make contact with it. So, you know, looking fastball and being pulled on the breaking ball and still putting it in play anyway. So one of the things that we like to do is, you know, we'll I'll be throwing really, really, really hard BP and all of a sudden I'll just snap a breaking ball off on them without telling them. And, you know, at first you'll get this kind of look like, whoa, what was that? And I'm like, well, it wasn't what you're looking for. Don't swing at it. So just putting them in situations that isn't necessarily a drill that says, hey, we're going to hunt fastball. And if I throw you a breaking ball, spin on it, that kind of sets them up to kind of know what's going on. And then even then they'll be caught in between two pitches and they'll be fouling off the, the fastball, you know, late over the, over the first base dugout. And they'll be early on the breaking ball and can't hit either one of them square. So that's, that's one of the things I like to do. It's kind of a, and it's great because when I don't tell them what's coming, it's a massive like failure on the part of the swing where everything's slowing down or the head's flying out. But that, in my opinion, and you get the, you see the look on their face, it really helps them. Wow. Okay. That's what it should feel like. Or wow. I don't want to do that. I think that's, that's super important. Um, Also something is, um, you know, going fastball rounds and throwing it on top of the L screen and not letting them see it, you know, and, uh, or 
making the ball stop and have them, you know, have to hold their swing up. I think that's, that's super important as well. Cool. Well, something that I'm trying to get into and trying to get more into as again, we we're still in the off season, but we're approaching our preseason stuff. And that's you, just your prep work before the cage and, or before getting on the mound. So do you guys do some different prep work before you do either of those things or both of those things? And if you yeah. do, would you mind going into a little bit of detail about it? Yeah, definitely. So, um, every guy that comes in, in, into the facility gets assessed, like I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So that helps us put together the weight, pro- weight chain, weight training program. And most of our athletes actually lift, hit and pitch or, you know, lift and pitch or lift and hit whatever. So normally most of the time when they come into the cage, they're already primed, meaning they've already gone through their prep work, whether it's, Hey, they have a T-spine restriction, um, in rotation or extension, or they have a hip mobility issue, or, you know, they have a postural alignment issue. So they'll already have that prep work done before they actually get into the cage or get out of the mound. That is an absolute necessity. So starting at movement work based on the, on the cage is definitely um, something that we like, or if for some reason, one guy doesn't weight train with us, we'll write them a program just based off a few assessments Say, Hey, how well are you able to hip hinge? How well are you able to get in? How well is your dorsiflexion? You know, what's your dorsiflexion mobility like? Sorry. Um, T-spine mobility, like a little bit of extension. Um, and one of the other things is also uh, external rotation of their. So if I'm a righty, having external rotation of my right arm, or if I'm a lefty, external rotation of my left arm has been absolutely huge too. So we'll we'll write them a program based on that, and they'll go through their progression, and um, you know they'll hop on the tee or they'll look at some video, and always coming in, we always have a plan for them. So it's like, hey, we want to attack X, Y, and Z, or it might be simple as like, hey, we want to be able to you know hit the breaking ball on the outside part of the plate away better. So there's always some form of giving them direction, what they need to work on. So they already know coming into the cage, right? This is what I want to work on. These are our prep drills. We like to do a lot of band work. You know, Parker's really good with that. And um, Connor Dawson, they, they really introduced me to that, which is fantastic. Um, getting them to feel that type of stuff with the bands, whether it's J bands or, you know, some power bands. We'll also uh, have them go through some, um, some med ball throws in order to help them, you know, really feel that active rotation um, we'll do a lot of mirror work. So if a guy has a, you know, a separation issue, we'll have him get in the mirror with a PVC pipe and, you know, a med ball and kind of take him through some, uh, through some rotation progressions. And then, you know, we'll get going. We, we rarely, 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 unless we're crunched on time for some, for some reason, just say, Hey, hop in the cage and start wailing away. They have to know the plan. They have to know what we have set forward out for them. And, you know, they have to, they have to prepare accordingly. You know, the pitching is definitely, definitely prep work intensive. That's actually where we spend most of our time is not so much on the mound throwing or in drills. It's the prep and the, and the, uh, the, you know, the prehab, if you will, or the, um, the rehab stuff, if you will. So, um, we'll have them, uh, get through their, through their warm up, which is a dynamic warm up mixed with the foam rolling, which is different for everybody based on their assessment. They'll hammer the problem areas up that they need. Then from there, they'll go into wrist weights. We have a wrist weight series, um, a wrist weight series that we take them through, six different exercises. So we'll do some different throws, some different swings in order to help with their, their D cell and their pronation pattern. Um, then from there, we'll do some, usually they'll do some shoulder tube. They'll do some throwing club and then we'll, uh, we'll take them through their lead in drills. So it'll be a, a, it's a really good mix of, all right, let's, uh, you know, we have a drill, uh, lead leg blocking. We'll take them through a, through a lead leg blocking series with a bunch of different plyo balls and help them really get primed for, okay, this is how I want my 
my lead leg to, to firm up. And this is how I want to go about doing that into the pitching rotation. Then we'll go into some glute activation um, drills. So we'll have them do um, some stuff on stools where they're, you know, they'll drop down into it. Um, they'll do some crossovers and, uh, you know, we'll do some mix and some plyo boxes to help them sit in their glute a little bit. We'll do some arm action, arm patterning um, drills in order to help them get primed. So we have a, about, it's actually 12, 12 different exercises that we'll take them through in order to help them get primed for their individual drills for the day. So after they're done with that, we'll either simulate long toss with a seven ounce ball, depending on where they're at in their throwing progression, or, you know, they'll, they'll just go straight into long toss. And then um, from there, I'll write them their drill package based on their video and our goals and what we need to have addressed. And that's usually anywhere from four to six drills that I'll have them hammer out and blend between, you know, drill, 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 mound, drill, 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 mound, drill, 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 mound. And we'll just keep beating them with that um, over and over and over. And in between, you know, we have feedback as well. So I'll be there. I have a, I have a high-speed camera that we absolutely abuse with our iPad. Um, and we'll go over, okay, how did that feel? What were you thinking? This is what it looks like. Hey, we're getting better from last week, which is, which is definitely important. And then, um, you know, if they throw a bullpen, we'll throw, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take them through their pen and we'll chart everything. And, you know, we'll go from there and put them in different situations with, Hey, we're thrown to a batter. This is a spot that we want to attack. If we're missing, we're missing this location. If not, we're, we're in trouble. Then from there, you know, we'll take them through the recovery and, um, you know, I have a gauntlet of different recovery protocols that we go through and it's, um, you know, it's, it's not so much to build strength. I mean, they just got done throwing a whole lot. Um, so we're not really going to, you know, run a marathon and then strength train right after it's kind of, you know, counterproductive and counterintuitive, but it's more to, um, you know, quote unquote restore is what I like to use. So, you know, we'll do some things to restore, restore, um, you know, scapular function, rotator cuff function, make sure it's firing correctly. Some neuromuscular reeducation, uh, we'll, we'll take them through, um, you know, a little bit more wrist weights and, you know, a little bit more PT type drills. And we, you know, we'll, we'll put a mark pro on them and there'll be generally our pitches that are for about an hour and 15 hour and 20 hour and 30, um, just depending on how long the recovery session is. So we're just trying to restore things that happen, you know, in the pitching motion that, uh, get overused. So, you know, we'll look to try to restore some, uh, you know, some shoulder internal rotation, some scapular function, like I mentioned, rotator cuff firing and function and, um, you know, we'll send them on their way. Do you guys do any conditioning afterwards as far as like running sprints, anything? Uh, not so much. Like I, like I said before, that's built into their strength training program. Um, so if they're, if they just pitch with us, um, then, then we won't, you know, just because, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult to be able to, you know, navigate what they're doing, you know, at school as well as with us. But, uh, you know, yeah, we definitely, you know, address that kind of GPP type stuff, you know, for our pitchers. And, um, you know, we definitely recommend some things because, you know, we, uh, we definitely know it's an all-encompassing um, need and program. Love it. Now, Ryan, you're a guy that is consistently learning. It sounds like all the time. So, you know, what's something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a really good question. I, uh, you know, we're Chad and I, who's, who's my hitting coordinator at TBC, we're, we're going to get um, certified here pretty soon. Um, by TPI or on base U, it's a it's basically a baseball form of that, which is definitely huge. But just really digging into, you know, the body swing connection. I know that sounds cheesy from TPI, but constantly every day we're dealing with a complex system, and not every complex system, meaning the individual, shows up the same every day. So by us having the ability to address, okay, this is what he 
tested with. This is what was presented to us. And this is what we're seeing today is an ever changing, you know, exchange between, you know, coach and what we want to have done and, you know, with the athlete. So, you know, like I mentioned before, I love the 4D stuff. I'm, I'm an absolute quote unquote nerd. I mean, I, I read Kinesis books all the time and orthopedics books and uh, hitting biomechanics is absolutely huge. I love that book. Um, that's something I've been, I've been really thirsty for and I got, but for me, it's, it's definitely having the ability to see, okay, why isn't this guy going through this? Why isn't he able to get through this spot? Why isn't he able to get to this pitch? And then you come to find out after assessing him, you know, with a screen and putting him on 4d and getting his blast numbers. It's funny because if you're doing it right, everything seems to intertwine and, and piggyback off of each other. So if you, if you do a good movement assessment and you can really get down to the basics of how they move and how well they're able to do certain things, and you look at their heat maps on the field and in the strike zone, you say, man, he's really doesn't have the ability to hit this pitch in this location. And you get their blast numbers and you, you know, you pull that stuff up mixed with 4d, it all piggybacks on each other. And it's, it's not necessarily, I mean, you know, for me, um, one thing that I'm diving into, I mean, consistently it's three or four things at a time that I'm reading up on or trying to, um, trying to learn more about. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, for right now, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm learning about strength training and kind of digging deep into some new methods and, and techniques that I'm getting into that, you know, have been massively beneficial for, for me. I still weight train every day, which is huge, but for our athletes and also, you know, I'll dedicate an hour a day for the weight training stuff that I'm, I'm diving into. It's an hour a day for my 4d stuff that I'm getting into. I have a, you know, I'm trying to get certified in that as well. And then I have uh, you know, movement assessment type stuff and then swing issue type stuff. Um, so it's, it's kind of chaotic, you know, when, uh, you know, when I break it down that way, but I'm, I'm a lot more, um, you know, a lot more structured than that, but usually it's an hour, an hour, an hour. And, um, you know, even, you know, dynamic vision training, I'm starting to get into that's a, you know, we had, you know, a company that's up and coming approach us from one of our college athletes. Um, that's a new horizon that I'm definitely excited to get into, um, you know, cause uh, you know, a year or four months ago, it was our, you know, people are starting to get into 4d now it's all right. The last frontier, one of the last ones is, you know, dynamic vision training, um, and being able to apply that. So it's always, it's a, it's a multifaceted, you know, scope of things that I'm always pulling from. Definitely. And, you know, since we're constantly learning, there's always changes that we're going to make and things that we're going to do different, or there's going to be research that comes out and really tells us that we're wrong in some different stuff. So is there something that you used to do that you, you know, you did more research on or some new research has come to light or you just came to the realization that there's a way to do it better? Is, is there anything like that that comes to mind? Oh, absolutely. There's, you know, there's things every single day, you know, quite frankly, that I can stand to read more up on or get some more information on. And so specifically, we have just getting down to it specifically, there is a there's an athlete that we have who's been with us for a year and he's an absolute monster. This kid is uh, a physical specimen and balls well over a hundred, you know, 400 feet, very, very athletic kid. And he's been with us strength training with us for quite a while. And he's at that point now where it's like, okay, is him going from 450 to 500 on a deadlift going to put that extra four miles an hour on, on, mm -hmm. on the ball. And the answer was no. And so one of the things was that I've been doing is, you know, for instance, uh, I, I love, and this is definitely someone I, I would love to love to hear on your podcast is I, Eric Cressy, along with um, strong eight, strong eight and uh, JJ Morris are fantastic for 
kind of that second tier and that advanced level, you know, strength and conditioning, you know, for baseball. So I've been kind of shifting my approach for this athlete because he's getting so strong. We need to move weights a little bit faster. So, you know, for me to be able to tailor that to him is something huge where I had him, you know, in the, he's a, he's a big time strength guy and he gained 14 or 15 miles an hour with wood over the course of a year. That's worked really well. Now I was at a crossword where I was like, dang, you know, last couple of months, he's kind of been the same, which is still really, really good based on his peer group. But instead of me saying, Hey, he's good. He's had a hundred. Like I said, he would be, it was no, let's get him to 105, 108. And this is, I think how we're going to be able to do it. So specifically, you know, strength training has been huge. You know, even a couple of years ago, you know, I was a guy that didn't know anything about, I actually didn't have the, um, you know, the resources for it, but I, I tried my best to learn about the body and, you know, the, the 3d biomechanics type stuff. And I would look at a video and say, man, that guy swings down, mm-hmm. you know, that guy swings down and, um, come to find out, you know, fast forward three years later, I had a, you know, a interesting talk with, um, with blast motion. And I saw that very same clip that I was looking at and he goes, yeah, he's swinging up this, you know, this degrees on this pitch. And I'm like, gee, you know, that's, uh, that's something that I used to teach a number of years ago, but it's always, it's always super funny, you know, to go back and kind of, um, I, I love writing notes down to my computer and taking notes in my books and, um, you know, going back and seeing what I taught then and what I'm teaching now and, you know, how I've grown. And it's, um, it's definitely, you know, my, my wife, I've been with her for, for a long, long time, almost 10 years. Um, when I was in high school, I made a, a senior, a senior year how-to video. And it was how to hit a baseball. And some of the stuff that was in there, I want to pull my hair out. It's hilarious. She's That's like, awesome. she's like, Ryan, you, you got to post this on your Instagram. And I'm like, no way. Like, <laughs> this is, this is crazy. But she goes, and I was actually like mad at myself for, for doing that. And she goes, Hey, you know, you got to remember, like, you're not teaching this now and how much you've learned. And I think about it that way. And I'm like, wow, like I am happy where I'm at now, just because where I've come, but it, it's definitely an eye opening experience to say the least. And it, it's, like I said, it made me want to pull my hair out, quite frankly. No, and I, I know we've all had moments like that. And and the reason, you know, that that I asked that question is because there may be some coaches out there who, you know, are doing some of those different things. And again, they're they're starting to come to the realization of this. And and I know that that it's hard. It's hard to change, really hard to change, actually, especially when you look back and think of all the kids that you've taught the wrong way to do things. And it's like, gosh, if I could just go back. And I'm sure we'll do that our, our entire career, but uh, yeah, absolutely. But you know, right? You've given us a ton of resources, uh, but you know, if you could pick out a few that you want our listeners to go dig into, what would be those? Uh, I don't know if I could give a few, but I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll put a timestamp on it. I'll give you about 15 seconds, as if I were explaining it all out. You got. Um, it. I love TPI. Uh, on base, you uh, is a is a basically a subset for baseball TPI. Uh, Zach Deacon, who's on here with you, I've been following him for a long time. Mike Reinold, in my opinion, is uh, I went to go see him when I went to see Eric Cressy. Is in my opinion the best baseball PT I've ever come across. Fantastic individual. Eric Cressy is is definitely somebody I, I massively look up to. Him and Pete Dupuis, uh, um, the two owners of CP. Um, I love Strong Eight. They put out a lot of good material, and um, you know they're very passionate about getting their guys better. And I really share that with them. I love it. Um, Want to get to know him some more. I love Body Track stuff whenever they're able to come out with it, and uh, you know whatever they post is is definitely gold. I, I really, really 
you know, Instagram and Twitter have been huge. You know, I love Parker stuff. I, I really, really am fortunate to be able to have met with, um, you know, Jason Ochart and, uh, uh, Rick Strickland. Um, I really, really look up to those guys and, um, you know, they're, they're definitely people that I'd like to get information from and bounce things off of back and forth. Well, that's fantastic. And, and I love those, I love those resources. And so, you know, Ryan, I'm, I'm really going to open it up for you right now. And is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners or, you know, if there's any questions or answers that you want to go over, or if there's anything else that you just want to talk about today, can you throw it out for us? Yeah. I mentioned I was hard on myself after seeing my video when I was in high school, you know, nine years ago, which is completely stupid now, I mean, looking at it. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing is we know what we know. And, you know, what we know now is that's all we have. And it is up to us in this industry to be able to acknowledge that and say, okay, what I know now might not be right or might not be what's in line with what's happening. But it is my responsibility to my athletes and all of my clients to, be able to better myself. And that's one thing that I think our guys really appreciate is I have no problem telling them, Hey, I really don't know. Let me find out. Or, Hey, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. Go and look his, you know, some of his stuff up. But, uh, that, that's the biggest thing is, you know, for me, I think it's, uh, it's been the journey and it always has been the journey for me. And I think the journey is, is never ending in my opinion with trying to get athletes better and help them you know, get a little bit closer to achieving their dreams. That is truly something that is, that is unconquerable. I'm sure three years ago, I thought to myself, man, there's not very much more that someone can learn. And standing here now, it's like, wow, I wonder what else is going to be out there in, mm-hmm. you know, a year from now. So, you know, we only know what we know and it's up to us to be able to better ourselves. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm here for, you know, here for my athletes and I, I really care about them. And it's, um, you know, if I'm not, doing something every day to better help them. I feel like I'm letting them down and I can't let that happen. Um, and I think there's a lot of people out there, you know, like yourself that, you know, feel the same way. Definitely. And, you know, I forgot to ask this earlier, so we'll go ahead and close with this. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for, you know, being with us today. And, but I know that there will be some listeners who want to get in touch with you. So let's close with that. What can, uh, where can they get in touch with you? Sure. Our website is uh, chapmanbaseball.com. You know, it's Chapman Baseball Compound and um, our, uh, you know, our Instagram, our Twitter is Ryan Chapman 25. That was my personal one when I made it up. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, our Instagram is uh, Chapman Baseball Compound. You know, we try to do our best to keep it, uh, keep it as up to date as possible. Um, you know, we're, uh, in my opinion, I think we should be, you know, more focused on uh, using the time effectively to, to, to connect with our athletes. Um, so that suffers a little bit, but I think that's all right. Definitely. Well, Ryan, you've been an awesome guest and I appreciate you taking the time to share so much with us and uh, thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.